0: Hi, everyone. I just wanted to announce that we'll be taking a two-week hiatus through the end of the year. We'll return Friday, January 8th, 2021 with the next episode. We also want to take a moment to thank everyone who's listened to the show and for your support. We will continue to do what we can to develop and improve the show for you. Your feedback and ideas are always welcomed and encouraged on our social media platforms or at podcast.addingcontacts.com. We wish you a happy, healthy holiday season and new year. Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollens. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to Marie and Tyler Haney. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves.
1: I'm Marie Haney and um, I'm the mom to Tyler. And we've just been on an interesting autism journey throughout his 23 years. Um, Currently, I work just about full time and um, out of the home. And then we also recently started a nonprofit to help kids on the autism spectrum. So that fulfills the rest of my time. And then we have two other boys. And um, my husband, Steve, and I also have a small working farm here in Percocet.
2: And uh, I'm Tyler. I'm a recent college graduate, graduated in May from Westchester University. Uh, I studied history with a minor in museum studies. And right now I'm working full time at a uh, thrift store taking donations, uh, looking to hopefully find work in a uh, museum or historic site, uh, something in that field, and uh, helping out with uh Getting Hope Learning Center started, uh, offering my advice to the students and uh, my parents and the members of the
0: uh, board of directors. So it's been a pretty neat experience. Awesome. Um, First, thank you guys for coming on. Um, Why don't we talk a little bit about you first, Tyler? Um, What age and what were some of the indicators that led your parents to have you uh, assessed
2: uh, yeah, they can probably, she can probably speak to this better than me, but I think it was first uh, suspected that I might be on the spectrum when I was about three or four years old. Uh And then it was officially confirmed when I was in second grade after talking to our family doctor and the school psychiatrist. So that was when it was, uh when we first started really looking into, like, what this means uh, for me and looking into the ports uh, in in and out of uh, the school system to kind of help me, uh, help me with just uh, managing it and understanding what it meant and making sure I get all the uh, assistance I needed.
0: Got it. Marie, what were some of the indicators there things that you saw that kind of might've sparked that idea in your head that you need to be assessed?
1: Um, it was actually our pediatrician who mentioned it to us, um, at his third year appointment and she just noticed some, um, lack of eye contact and, um, just some different things he was doing in the waiting room that made her believe he was on the spectrum and she had mentioned it to me. Um, we had noticed some things at home, but wouldn't have thought anything of it, just, that he was our first child and we thought he was a pretty content kid and was independent. And we thought that was amazing. So, um, he was a terrible sleeper and some other things that I could tell he didn't like. And I just thought those were just the way he was. And so I didn't think a lot about it. So once the doctor, um, indicated that I did a little research, it was just when the internet was starting to be become a thing. So it was interesting <laughs> trying to do some computer research on that. And, um, Probably thought, wow, he's got a lot of these things for Asperger's syndrome, but yet was not ready to, um, I guess, maybe accept the fact that maybe he w- was autistic. Um, so we kind of just pushed it aside and kept it in the back of our minds. And um, as he continued to develop over the next couple of years, we saw more and more signs of, you know, transitions were difficult, um, changing clothing from one season to, to the other. Um, food preferences, different things that, you know, definitely started to line up. So that's when we first started seeing it. And, but then he was also super smart. So we kept saying, well, he's so smart. He certainly can't be autistic. And um, that was a lot of things that we didn't understand at that time about autism.
0: So my understanding is uh, autism on the spectrum, it's, there's mild, uh, moderate, severe. And then even with, with Asperger's in and of itself, there seems to be, at least with my experience, there's there's varying degrees of severity. Um, what kind of impact did that have on him and or you, Tyler, in school?
2: Ah, uh, yeah. As far as school, uh, just with dealing with uh, classes and academics, uh, there was one part of me that would just I was really excellent students. I felt like I have a uh, had a great memory and just a really an aptitude to learn and take everything in and to finish my assignments. Uh, I guess, uh, where I would have had issues back then would be with certain things like, uh, being distracted in class, whether with, uh, fidgeting or just little distractions. Like I really like to draw cartoons and things. And sometimes I would miss instructions or not get to work right away. But, Once I was refocused, it didn't, uh, it wasn't an issue at that point. Uh, As far as socially, uh, I was fortunate to have a a couple of good friends in uh, elementary school who I met, uh, and they were very accepting of my differences. Like, I don't think I ever told any of them that I was on the spectrum or anything, or really knew how to express that, but they were just very accepting and nice guys. And I had a good network, but it was kind of uh, difficult, I think for me to like, uh, as I kind of realized later to really have deep connections with them, like we would hang out or whatever at each other's houses and do things together. But I think it was still difficult for me to really have like real true social connections. And I think for people who I wasn't friends with, uh, sometimes I would have, I guess, inappropriate reactions when they were doing something I didn't like or annoyed me or whatever. So I would say that would be what it was like in those early years, at least.
0: Anything you want to add to from your position as a parent?
1: It's interesting to hear his perspective versus mine. Um, So yeah, he was, he was an excellent student and was flying through school and um, read at an early age, was on a high reading level by kindergarten, um, could memorize anything. And it it was just incredible. So again, we were just having a hard time reconciling the two of those things. But then when we had the meltdowns, um, when he didn't want to transition at school or he'd rather read his book than, you know, move on to the next thing, it started to become, you know, more and more of an issue to to where you know the meltdowns were affecting you know he was getting older and couldn't be having meltdowns in class so um finding the right support and working with the school and what that looked like um you know and then just accepting that okay there's definitely differences here um you know and how is that going to impact us and the family so i always felt extremely blessed that school was easy for him thank goodness like he would get his work done and it wasn't a problem but um, it was everything else got that it. was just so hard, I think, you know, for both of us and frustrating. So
0: it sounds like you had to have a, a good relationship. I know with, with my youngest, we were, we've had some issues with him. Um, he's got a kind of like this textile thing. His hands are always fidgeting, but real early in preschool, you know, the teachers knew that if they had his hands occupied, they they could occupy his brain in other ways. And we we developed a really good rapport with them. So when he started kindergarten and every grade going up, we kind of had pre school year conferences with the teachers to uh, kind of just say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what works for him. If you want to get his brain, let his hands occupy you know. And we every year we had plans. So anything along those lines with you guys?
1: Um, definitely, we had he definitely had um, teachers or administrators along the way that were either. Um, very good at working with him and understanding and then others not so much. And so I would do, I started to learn um, to do a lot of research ahead of time. And um, we had a book that he worked through, um, I think in about second grade, and it was all about Asperger's. And so he, since he was such a good reader and, you know, he could understand well that way he, w- he worked through that workbook. And it was so telling for me as a parent to see, how he was really feeling, I had no idea. Some of the things he felt, um, or that were going through his ma- his mind. Right. So I used that information, and just what we had learned at home, and would write a synopsis up for the teachers, and give that to them at the beginning of the year, um, and just kind of explain like, "Hey, this is what's going on. This was this is what works. These are the terminology you need to use with him." Um, you know, and, and some even things that we used in our home, the teachers didn't want to use those words. And I'm like, no, these are the words you have to use that (laughs) it'll work. Um, So it was those kind of things. And then as he got older and into middle school and even high school and even college, um, we would preview his schedule and walk, walk the schedule. So he knew where his rooms were and did all that ahead of time just to help him um, not to be anxious or um, just to have a better grounding before he went into a new school year meet the teachers and all those kind of things, yeah. see where he was going to sit. Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah. I can imagine each transition from you know, middle elementary school to middle school, to high school, to college. It's, those are some pretty significant jumps and the, the higher you go, the, the bigger the jump is. So mitigating a lot of the, the anxiety inducing components, I'm sure is makes things a lot easier for him. Yeah. Tyler, what, um, what got you interested in, in history? And, and the arts of that nature.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I think it was kind of just a, uh, the way I've kind of, think of thought about it was, it was just it really interesting to see, like, how things have uh, occurred throughout history and how it affects uh, us today and, like, have a better understanding of why things are the way they are in our country, in society, as opposed to just thinking, like, oh, things are just the way they are. Like, I feel like I had this desire to understand what happened uh, and why and what was really important. And I uh, was, as I was just kind of growing up, uh, my family and I would take a lot of vacations and stuff and really enjoyed going to museums and historic sites and seeing where history actually happened, seeing artifacts and things that help tell the story of history. So I think that's what got me personally interested. And my goal now, as I'm, tr- I'm hoping uh, to make a career out of it, is to like show people why it's important and still matters because I feel like a lot of people just don't think much about the past or don't care about it. And there's definitely a lot of ways where
0: it's still applicable and just good to know. I agree. I'm a big fan of history myself and we were fortunate enough to, to live in an area where we have an abundance of, of, of historical events to, to look through and, and sites that we can go through that are nearby us um, out of the, the major museums in Philly what uh which ones are your which are the ones you like to visit the most for Philly i uh, i'd say uh probably
2: independence hall just as like a uh historic site like obviously doesn't get much more historic than that the declaration <laughs> and the uh the constitution and everything uh the franklin institute as well i think uh it's not so much a history museum mm-hmm. but i think it's just it kind of is in the same vein of like explaining like why things are the way they are. And I appreciate it for that.
0: Yeah. The, the cycle of uh, shows, so to speak, that they have come through there are are real good. I Mm -hmm. tend to bring my kids there, you know, I try to get them there once a year, but this year has been a (laughs) a little different for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. So what was the, I guess the genesis of your Mm -hmm. learning center, the hope learning center. Yeah. So if
2: I can actually explain a little bit about that, uh, she kind of talked about like how we tried to prepare for the transitions and everything. And we kind of found like, uh, I think we were fortunate in our school district that they had a really good autistic support program that really helped me manage a lot of things. Uh, and then going into college, uh, and having to, uh, live independently and having less of that structure was a big shift for me in ways that I kind of knew about, but also was not totally prepared for. And we found that at college, uh, at the first college I went to their disability uh, services program, uh, they tried to help in ways as far as accommodation and things like that, but they didn't really uh, have the experience with working specifically with people on the spectrum and like figuring out like how to set up set up students like me for success and like not just academically but socially and just uh, living independently so I, my grades were really suffering from uh, so I was struggling to get used to uh, having my structure in my schedule uh, and not having somebody keep me accountable all the time like my parents would have so I went home after that second year wondering if I really wanted to continue going to college and if I wanted to just work or whatever. Instead, uh, I did end up, uh, what I ended up doing was we learned about this program at Westchester university called the DCAP program, WC autism program, which is a more thorough, uh, support program for students who are attending Westchester where they have a space to hang out, uh, all the, uh, any autistic student who's interested, uh, they meet with a graduate, uh, student, uh, to help them with academics and career prep and socially and anything else that they're having trouble with. And that was a big help for me. It kind of, it really felt like then that I was being really understood and helped, uh, with my challenges. And so, My grades really improved. I found I was a lot happier uh, in connecting better with people socially, uh, getting better prepared for living independently. And so I came home from that, and my parents and I were kind of talking about, like, there needs to be a program like this for uh, young adults who are going to be entering that transition, like, because maybe they're not going to go to Westchester, uh, maybe they're not going to go to college or whatever, but we want to uh, offer them this program where we can help them with that next step and helping them really adjust to that. Because I think professionals who are working with autistic uh, children and autistic people, I think they've gotten a lot better at figuring out like how to support kids who are still in grade school but then when you're getting into adulthood that's kind of still like uncharted territory like that first generation who had all those uh, supports in grade school uh, they don't have that yet for when they're an adult so that's something that I want to kind of help figure out and help give advice so that uh, other young adults who are going to be on the spectrum and might be going into the same situations I did will be better prepared and set up for success.
0: That's awesome. Did you want to add anything to that? (laughs) Or did he kind of cover it? (laughs) He was
1: handing me the mic, so I (laughs) felt like I I should. Um, Yeah, so it it was interesting because our, our kind of thought of working with kids on the spectrum and helping families came prior to him actually getting into the DCAP program. And then once he was in the DCAP program, it kind of confirmed to us just the need, um, for something like that and, you know, something out more in the suburbs, but also just the, the parent support component of that. So I feel like we're, there's tons of organizations out there to help, um, kids and families on the spectrum, but not a lot of hands-on personal help. Um, and Tyler did work with some social coaches the year he was home, from his first college experience. And that was, that's when it all clicked with me. And I was like, yeah, we need something like this. Like these kids need more hands-on experience, um, more people working with them one-on-one and just that social component, I think is really crucial to their success. If they have friendships and, um, can understand some of the social dynamics and be out, doing stuff with other kids, that's when their, their self-esteem is better and just, you know, everything it kind of starts clicking and it, and it just helps them be successful in college and work environments, um, you know, if they have those social connections, so.
0: yeah, I noticed that the Hope Center has a number of uh, developmental areas that they work on, uh, independent living skills, personal skills, career, career skills, and, uh, and social skills. So I th- I, when I looked into your center. I was pretty blown away. I think it's absolutely fantastic that what you guys are doing, the services that you're providing that to truly help and ensure that people have smoother transitions. Um, is it strictly for uh, people with Asperger's or have you expanded a little bit to other aspects of the spectrum?
1: Um, I would say it's, it's mostly kids who are higher functioning, um, they kind of did away with the Asperger's label, but yeah. there's there's kids that are Tyler's age that still have that label. Now they've gone to like a number system. Um, we want them to be college bound. that would be that's more our goal. so that would kind of, you know offer us a, a certain student who's who's able to go to college or technical school or be ready to go into the workforce. Um, and mainly, we've kind of chosen that niche because, those kids aren't the ones who are getting the services. And right. that's what we found time and time again with Tyler is we would try to get support or a grant or some kind of help or coaching. And we're like, you don't qualify, you don't qualify, you don't qualify. He's too high functioning. It's not for him. And he needed help and support. So it was it was very, very frustrating.
0: You, you kind of just thought, touched on something that I, I was definitely going to question. You mentioned that they've labeled him as too high functioning. What, I guess, what are some of the myths or, or misunderstandings about people on the spectrum that I think are, I guess, the most prevalent ones that you've run into?
2: I think just I've, the big one I would say is uh, I think it's right in the name. Like the spectrum is a spectrum, and uh, not every autistic person is going to look the same, uh, act the same have the same challenges. Uh, And so what works might work for one person on the spectrum isn't going to work for the other. And that's where she was talking about, like uh, working one-on-one with the students is important, I think, because you need to have somebody who uh, isn't going to just like give a uh, one size fits all service or accommodation to people on the spectrum Like they can meet them where they are, recognize what their personal goals and needs and challenges are and meet them on that. Uh, And I guess the other thing is people who are otherwise uh, just, who are just not that well aware of what being on the spectrum really means, uh, having assumptions about like uh, what people on the spectrum are capable of and i think might not uh be willing to put in the efforts or give a person on the spectrum a chance because they have assumptions that like oh they don't know how to uh communicate with people they don't know how to socialize with people uh they're not going to be able to do this and that's not true i don't think uh for everybody if you can truly uh, meet them where their needs are and help them. I think there's a lot of potential for them to do great things.
0: It sounds like just giving people the tools they need to succeed period is, is what you guys are really working for. right?
1: Yeah. And I was also going to say, you know, for us, one of the biggest challenges with him being on the spectrum was because he was so bright, people would say, well, I don't, under- I don't understand. Why doesn't he understand this? Or why can't he do this? Or, or why are you, you know, why is that happening? And it, 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 those two don't, you know, they're not the same thing this social issue and intelligence. They're, they're just not on the same plane. Right. So, I mean, he had a, he had a teacher in high school who was so frustrated with him because there was, there's things to, in her eyes, he shouldn't have been doing because he was so smart, but she couldn't understand it. And she's like, I don't, it it does, he knows like he's this, he's really smart. So he should know. And it's not about being smart. So there's a lot of of social cues and how the brain is wired and working um, that make a difference for how these kids are functioning.
0: Tyler, in in your words, how do you explain what Asperger's is?
2: I think I, uh, I usually just try to explain it odd. From the social point of view, uh, because I think that's the first thing that people notice when somebody's like socially awkward or doesn't get social cues right away. So I do feel like I kind of have to explain and show that I'm aware of those things and working at them. Uh, and I think then people are more accepting. Uh, I think to some extent it's kind of unfortunate that they can't just like. Uh, except if somebody's just a little quirky or whatever in the first place. But I think that's the – I think with uh, the distinction with Asperger's, I think – not to say that people who are elsewhere on the spectrum aren't aware of uh, like how they might come off to others, but I think it's just like – I think – the way my dad likes to always explain this when he talks about like his experience with me and working with my disabilities, like he says, like Tyler told me once, uh, dad, you may, uh, not always like socializing with people, but you know how to do it. And I don't know how to. And I think that's a key part of explaining it. Uh, it's not necessarily like a, uh, It's not like a a distaste necessarily. It's almost like a, uh, it's an ongoing struggle of just like being aware of it and trying to develop those habits that would come naturally to another person,
0: I think. Thank you. I I wanted your insight because you're you're clearly the one that gets to kind of be an ambassador for this (laughs) to a degree. Um, Thank you. What were, if any, were some of the bigger obstacles that you may have encountered with trying to get this open?
1: Um, money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, money's always a, you know, when you're trying to do something right. to serve other people, the finances are huge. Um, just being able to, to take that leap and say, you know, we think we have something here, but can we really pull it off? And, you know, we don't we don't personally have the means just to quit our jobs and put a hundred percent into this. Sadly, um, we're trying to get to a place where we can shift some things, so at least I can be spending more time on it. But um, that's definitely that is a big obstacle. Um, right now we have an amazing space um, just in the downstairs of our house that we use, but we, and we're like, Oh, we could do this for years and years. And as soon as we started, we're like, we are going to outgrow this probably by next year, you know? So we've already got to be forward thinking and, and say, okay, where's, what are we going to do next? As far as just having the place, Um, our, our farm sits on seven acres and that's kind of the key to hope learning center is providing, Um, A very quiet, peaceful atmosphere for the kids and someplace where they can come and just be them and um, meet up with friends, have a place to hang out. That was something through high school um, and even in the college where Tyler really didn't have places to go that were either going to be accepting or safe or where he felt like he could be himself. So we have open hours where the kids can just come here and be themselves and hang out with other kids and make connections and friendships. So, um, the property is a big part of that to have, um, you know, lawn games and bonfires and hammock swings and, um, interaction with the animals that they can just come and, and just have a place to go, not be sitting at home. And it sounds like a
0: place to decompress.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Who, um, who came up with, I guess the curriculum, if you want to call it that, do you guys kind of abide by and, and who are the instructors that teach for that?
1: Um, it is an ever developing quote unquote curriculum. Um, we pull, I, we work with another um, dear friend of mine, um, Ann Hughes who has worked in the field for years um, and is a teacher by trade and has worked with special needs kids. So she adds um, just a huge, uh, part of the program, um, just with her expertise in teaching. Um, it's a lot of based on what the kids need. So, um, my husband will often say, Hey, do you have, you know, your next X amount of classes ready to go? And like Tyler said, it's so individualized that we don't run that way. So it's not like we're saying, Oh, we're going to do this skill for 10, you know, 10 weeks. We're, we've, um, kind of pulled the boys that we have now. We, we have all boys right now. Um, and just some of the things that they want to talk about and, and learn more about, and then we work off of that. So our discussion nights are student-led and um, adult kind of facilitated. Um, so we're here, we present things to them and guide them in conversation, but they're learning from one another and then with input with us. So it's, it's very tailored to the kids that we have now. And then just based on what they need, Um, we'll develop classes. So if, if we have a couple kids who are looking for jobs, so we'll work on resume building and interview skills. Um, if they need just home skills, laundry or cooking, then we'll work with them on those kind of things. So it's, it's not like a traditional school where you're going to plan out your year and, and it's really, it's pretty fluid. And if we need to, like right now we're working on conversation skills, um, If we need to spend six weeks on conversation skills, we will until they feel, you know, more comfortable or if they feel like they've, you know, got it a little bit better than they did before. um, You know, we might only spend two weeks on it and then move on to something else. So we know dating is coming around the corner. So that's (laughs) going to be a topic we're going to hit in the new year. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. they're excited about that.
0: (laughs) Is it primarily just you and your husband that are doing these guided conversations or do you have other people that kind of come in and
1: so right now it's myself and Ann, um, that work with the boys weekly. And then, um, we have a number of people, including my husband who have offered to volunteer their time to come in and do specialized classes. So whether that would be on, um, car maintenance or, um, you know, something more specific to a social skill that we don't have the expertise in, Mm -hmm. they would come in and, and do those classes for us. So, It's really a a bank of different professionals that will come in and help us as we need them.
0: That's awesome. So you've clearly navigated a a large, uh, many years of dealing with schools with this. Do you think, what avenues or or parts of the schooling specifically to uh, people on the spectrum, would you like to see them improve? like a set of standards or, or, I mean, obviously standards are a little hard again for the reason you just specified that, you know, everybody is different, but at least having some sort of kind of general guidelines that they can kind of say, well, this is something that we should at least have for everybody. And then we can customize it as needed.
1: Hmm. Do you have a thought on that?
2: I don't know if I can, I don't know if I would say like there needs to be like a specific, uh, Uh, like standards for how they treat things. I kind of go against what I said about like everyone on the spectrum being different. Uh, I think just a key way I think they can help is to try to uh, reach out to the parents and to the students to help them more with those, finding those services so that they're not on their own uh, when they're, uh, wherever they go, whatever, Uh, college they go to or whatever their plans are for post high school because that was something we didn't really have and maybe it's just because it didn't exist at the time when I graduated high school but I think that would definitely be a big help Uh, and I yeah I feel like that's the main thing just connecting them with those services because I feel like it's not expecting like the high school to do all the work of like setting them up, uh, for post high school. Like I think they should focus on what's going on in that moment. just, uh, having, uh, the ability to know like where you can go, who you can turn to as you're making that transition would be helpful. I feel.
1: Um, just trying to think of it from a school perspective. So I I worked in the district that Tyler went through um, and I worked, worked there for about seven and a half years as a one-to-one support person. So um, there there's so much they can't change because they're bound by state laws and the curriculum they have to get through and things like that. I wish they could be more um, flexible with these kids and, you know, maybe a, a little less time doing all the, the sit in your chair classroom work and a little bit more time in experiential learning and social skills, um, and things like that, that they would benefit from. It seems like they kind of put them through a, a channel. And I think I, I fought against it a, a little bit with Tyler is, you know, you're going to have OT for this many years and then PT and then you're going to have speech therapy. And then by this grade, you'll be done with speech therapy, whether you're ready to be done or not. And then we're going to get rid of your IEP by the time middle school's over because you don't want an IEP by the time you go to high school. And it, it just doesn't work that way. And so, you know, some of that stuff I had to fight against some of the things we had to, you know, I know parents fight constantly. Um, and, you know, part of it's just the system. Sadly, it's the system that doesn't treat our kids too well.
0: Yeah. I, I've I, I've seen things that have issues with the way school is done. It. It's a very complex issue to tackle because there's so many variables. Um, I'm a firm believer that every kid learns differently. Um, and the cookie-cutter mentality that some schools and school districts go by are clearly not beneficial to all students it might be beneficial to the majority but it's not to all of them and as much as you know they try and push the the no kid left behind thing there are a lot of kids that are still left behind Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, have you interacted with any government government officials to kind of work towards some sort of compromise it might make things a little easier for school districts to cater to the, the specific student
1: I have not, um, in any of, any of my dealings. Um, you know, usually they'll say, well, your option is you can homeschool, um, you know, or maybe throw your kid in private school, which, (laughs) because everybody can afford that. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, Tyler, Tyler needed the IEP. He needed the services that the private school, you know, wouldn't have provided him. So, then you go back and forth with well yes a smaller school probably would have been better or maybe one that just wasn't so you know sit in your chair kind of learn but then you don't get the services so you you know we were constantly balancing that out as well um you know in homeschool i i just i couldn't even imagine like i just i that wasn't something that I was ready to take on, and I knew he needed to be around other kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most of these kids on the spectrum do need to be around other kids. Well, so taking them completely out and having them homeschooled is not beneficial either.
0: Yeah, it's. It sounds like there's you need that interaction. It, it's it's like immersion in learning a new language. They say the best way to learn a language is to immerse yourself in it. And you know, for the things that you guys kind of deal with, that in full immersion of social gatherings is quite crucial for you.
2: I think one thing that comes to mind for me where I've, since she talked about uh, kind of being put through this one track idea and uh, also with like how people don't always get like the issues of like intelligence versus uh, social intelligence and whatnot. Uh, when I was in high school, and I was working closely with a uh, guidance counselor just as far as uh, courses and preparing for college and everything, I feel like they looked at like my academic records and my counselor had a very set idea for how I should do certain things. Uh, so uh, one example was there was a requirement to take a uh, uh you have to take a minimum of two years of foreign language uh, by the time you graduate high school. And I was on the track that I did my first year in eighth grade in middle school and my second year in ninth grade. Uh, and then my uh, in 10th grade, I was on to the third year, but I was also taking AP U.S. History, which was a lot of work for me. And I think like that was a rewarding experience, but it was also affecting my uh foreign language grades and the teacher I had that year wasn't that good so my counselor encouraged me to uh drop uh that foreign language because I'd fulfilled the requirements and I wouldn't have to take any more but later when I decided to study history I go into college and for the history degree you need two semesters of a foreign language and at that point it had been 3 years since I had taken any German classes so I was basically starting all over and kind of struggling through those two semesters. Uh, but I get it to my first year. I have my sophomore year, my year off, and then I go to Westchester. And at Westchester, they require four semesters of a foreign language <laughs> of for a history degree. So I had, I had four years of German classes stretched out over like eight years. And <laughs> it was a struggle. Uh, the other thing that I experienced with that guidance counselor was uh, I had the option to uh, they had the option for kids at the high school to go to the technical school if they were more folk interested in the trade. And at that time, before I decided I wanted to study history, I was interested in digital graphic design, and they had a program for that at the tech school, and they had an open house. So I went to their open house and checked out their digital design program and it was a good program. You would be working with computers doing design work and they had like commercial printers and stuff. Uh, but they uh, basically discouraged me from doing that saying, uh, Oh, you're too smart for tech school. You should just stay in high school, uh, and finish your high school degree. And I feel like, uh, on the one hand, I think like they had good intentions. Uh, because I definitely could get the good grades in the regular classes, and it better prepared me for college, which I decided I did want to do. But it's also kind of like, uh, who knows what could have been if I decided to do the tech school, and maybe I would have enjoyed that more and been on a different path.
0: Is your tech school a all-inclusive high school? Like, um, you would go just to the— instead of going to your old high school, you'd go to there? Or is it my old like high school where it, you know the, you split time between the vocational school and the regular high school?
2: Yeah, you split time.
0: I I, I have I have issues with when when I, I understand why the guidance counselors might have suggested that for you based solely on your your grades and stuff, but you know when you you have a kid that's sparking interest, I, I kind of think that it's the guidance counselor's job to kind of help facilitate achieving those, those goals. And if you have the drive and you have the ability, why not allow them to kind of navigate that? Yeah. And instead I
2: feel like they, uh, they looked at like my grades and decided I was a certain kind of student. So they were going to put me through these certain programs and courses because it would make it look better for them to say, oh, we had this Student taking these upper level classes, and we had this many students at the high school instead of the tech school, so I think they
0: that might have played into it. I'm sure it did. Unfortunately. Yeah.
1: Um, so I I try to tell you know learning now. So poor you know poor Tyler had all this going against him, and then he's our first child. So by the time the second child came around, and they tried the same thing, I was like, no no no, we're not we're not doing that. And, and, you know, I wanted them to get the most out of their high school time and allow them to try different things. So I, I do tell parents now, I'm like, don't, don't let them fool you. (laughs) You know, if your child wants to do this, you can do this and, and, you know, don't be, you don't have to take foreign language in eighth grade, you know, just to get ahead. So what they were doing was pushing all these kids ahead and it, it basically messed them up then for college because he got to a point where he had to take German three and four where he wasn't, didn't need to take German three and four. So
2: right.
1: it's, you really have to be on top of what's best for your child and advocate for what's best for them as opposed to letting the system push you through.
0: Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of changes and reforms I'd like to see in, in the system in and of itself. Um, you know, I'm of the, the age where it was either you graduate high school and you go to the military, you absolutely have to go to college. And I think now we're kind of seeing that the, the influx of everybody went to college thing there's so many different bad aspects and things that have come out of that. You know, whether we're talking about people still dealing with financial debt 20 years after being out of college um, for student loans, or just not having a degree that's really worth anything. Um, I was fortunate enough that I waited many years after I graduated high school to to get my my college degree. Um, I'm all about, you know, life is about experiences, and that's what I try and do with my kids. Is give them as many different experiences throughout life as I can. And so they can kind of feel what they really are interested in and move in that direction. Um, Where would you like to see your camp be in say the next five, seven years?
1: The Hope Learning Center. Yeah. Um, I would love to see us in a, in a little bit bigger facility. Um, You you know, here on the property, we really have a passion to have some kind of work experience for the kids. Um, So whether we're creating that here somehow or um, partnering in the community to get the students to be able to get out and get some work experience because it's it's just crucial. Um, Most of these kids have a lot to offer, but they need some on the job coaching and training. Um, They just need a chance Right. And whether that starts out as volunteer work or, you know, working with different businesses who are willing to to hire these kids and let them learn some skills. Um, so we definitely would like that. We'd like to see a little bit more growth. Um, we can be a little bit bigger. Uh, we'd love to service more students and more families. Um, and then we'll continue to add to our parent resource um, part of the program where we have workshops and things available for parents. Um, and then we'd like to open things up to the community. So if kids aren't students of hope learning center, if we're offering um, a seminar, a class that we can invite, you know, community kids to come in and take that class. And, you know, maybe they're not a regular student that come weekly here, you know, or twice a week, but they might come and just take some classes with us and get a taste of hope learning center. So the more kids we can help, Um, I think it would just be amazing. I just, these kids have so much potential and just need a chance and they need people to believe in them. And I do think that often the parents need someone to come alongside of them and encourage them and maybe help them, you know, with some simple things at home that can help, you know, the kids too, to just develop a little bit more.
0: Do you guys have nights where you, you as the parents and, and, sit with the other parents to kind of kind of just powwow and, and chat about things?
1: Yeah, so we held um, our first workshop in October and had the parents out and had a an had a, um, occupational therapist come in and just work work on some things with them, which was a great time of just talking. And um, Tyler told a little bit about his story and how Hope Learning Center came about and kind of his hopes and dreams for their kids. So I think that was great. You know, any time that Tyler has the ability to share his story, I think is important, you um, you know, because he's been there and he's the, he's the living proof that, you know, you can get through and have Asperger's and, and be on the spectrum and be a successful young person. So, um, we definitely like him to tell his story as much as possible. Um, we have another seminar planned for early February and we'll bring, um, we're bringing in actually a parent coach. Um, and she's actually a physical therapist, I believe by trade. And so she's going to speak to the parents. So we'll continue to provide those. And then as we grow, hopefully have them more often. So we want to value people's time. We know everybody's busy, but yet we think it's important that they come together. Um, They have a lot of commonalities, so it's good that they can share them.
0: I think it's absolutely awesome what you guys are doing. and It's clearly something that's needed, um, which is something you've seen through your experience and and all that. You mentioned... um, The difference between an emotional intelligence and um, I guess knowledge-based intelligence Um, and I think that's kind of one of the things that I've noticed is really misconstrued and people really don't know that there is a difference Mm -hmm. and to me that's kind of what Asperger's seems to be there's that imbalance so to speak between someone's uh, knowledge-based intelligence which clearly you know, Tyler, you are <laughs> well up on that level <laughs> with uh, high honors and stuff from uh, college and everything. Um, and it's the emotional intelligence, I guess, that's you're working to build up. Um, what, from your experience, are some of the other things that you would see or could be beneficial to people with Asperger's?
2: I guess just... Uh... I feel like the biggest thing is just to kind of – I want them to feel encouraged that they can uh, be successful uh, whatever success looks like for them. Uh, I feel like it's easy to get discouraged when uh, like that social and emotional intelligence and behaviors don't come naturally to you uh, and when that can affect you in other ways, like it was affecting me, uh, in college, uh, not having the, uh, not knowing like how to, uh, do certain things independently as far as, uh, managing my studies and everything started to affect my grades. And that was discouraging me from feeling like I could graduate college and get the career that I wanted and everything. So I feel like they just need to be encouraged uh, that if they can put it in the effort and also just uh, seek out the uh, encouragement and advice and help and everything that they can accomplish uh, more than they might think
0: it's awesome you kind of cut their own path
1: yeah yeah I think the the sense of belonging is so important with these kids and you know you can be as, as smart as anything. But if you don't have um, anyone to share that with or just um, the feeling that people care about you or you have something to give back, I think is huge. And I think a lot of these kids um, are lonely because they don't know how to make those friendships, which, you know, they see other people having and they don't know what to do. And then they turn to online, um, you know, gaming and chatting and, and things like that and think they have friends, but realize that. They don't really know these people because they've never seen them. Um, so it's, it's just so important that they learn how to connect on some level and have basic social skills so that they can be in community with other people. Um, we, we're made to be in community and, you know, they, they need that. And even though they might pull back and be like, oh, this is hard. I don't want to do this. It's, it's how do you get them over that to realize that, yeah, they do they do need community and then that will help. With everything and their success and whatever they're doing,
0: so it sounds like things compound together. You know, the, the more immersed and more comfortable they get in their own skin, the more comfortable they'll be in general in you know social settings. Which then it's going to compound in their mental health well-being.
1: Yeah, um, for sure.
0: So I've been trying to find ways to keep my um, keep things interesting. So for the last few minutes, um, do you mind if I throw some? Really random questions at you? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So no. v- we love random questions. <laughs> um, oh, they're 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 quite random. Um, first question being: If humans came with a warning label, what would yours say?
2: How about caution: contents under pressure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that one. That's a good one. Yeah. Do you want to answer that one?
1: Uh, no. I'm <laughs> uh, terrible at these things. Passing really-
0: is perfectly fine. next question if you could talk to one species of an animal what would it be
2: well we have uh as part of our farm here we've got alpacas which we really love uh to have there's really cool animals so uh i think she would say that she'd want to talk to alpacas and i think i'd like to talk to them too
0: (laughs) yeah they spit a lot don't they (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> the alpacas don't, the llamas spit llamas. more. Yeah. So but yeah, I'd love to talk to them and just wonder what goes. I mean I do talk to them, but they just don't talk back. So
0: <laughs> it's hard to have a one-sided conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um which would you rather have? <clears throat> Eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day or grilled cheese sandwiches every day?
2: Mm-hmm. I think I would say peanut butter and jelly. Like I like grilled cheeses more, but eating peanut butter and jelly would probably be better for you because you get your protein, you got your fruit probably better than just having hot melted cheese. It's not the best thing
0: for you. (laughs) I like that idea. I I think that's a very sound rational answer. (laughs) Yeah. And the last one, who are your heroes in real life? Hmm.
2: Well, I guess uh, I'd say he's my favorite historical figure and maybe a hero as well. My favorite historical figure is Benjamin Franklin, just because of all the things he tried and uh, had success in, like politics, uh, writing, science, uh, starting organizations, the library, the fire department, the post office. He's a pretty cool guy.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with that. I kind of toss up between him and I was a fan of Hamilton growing up, and I was a huge fan of U.S. history when I was in school. But since I've seen the play of Hamilton, it's kind of got me back into my love of Hamilton and and everything he accomplished. So it it typically kind of goes up and down between him and Franklin. Franklin is just an insanely phenomenal human being for everything, as you said, he's accomplished. And and yeah. as, you know, like I said before, it's one of the things I love about where we live is we're, we're so rich in history, um, mm-hmm. especially U.S. history. Is, it's, it's just awesome. So, yeah. um, I have stolen about an hour or so of your time, which I greatly appreciate. Um, I appreciate the insight that you guys have given me and, and to everybody that listens to this show. Uh, any plugs that you want to throw out there, any, where people can find you, links to your, your webpage and things like that? And, how we can have, help you guys and how your, our listeners can help.
2: Yeah. We're on, uh, we're on Facebook, uh, Hope Learning Center at Sunset Ridge Farm. Uh, Instagram is Hope Learning Center Percasee. And the website is Hope, uh, Hope Learning Center org. That's Hope Learning Center P-E-R-K-A-S-I-E dot O-R-G.
0: Fantastic. I will make sure I, put all that into our into our show notes but i appreciate you uh throwing that out there and again i I greatly appreciate your time i think it's absolutely awesome what you guys are doing and i wish you nothing but the best of luck thank you thank you
1: thank you you very much
0: thank you thanks for listening to another episode of adding context you can follow us on twitter facebook instagram or visit us at addingcontext.com you can also support our show via our Patreon and send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.